You are listening to Justin C. Gleason. Please consider following and keeping this podcast playing in the background of your productive day. Give a five-star rating and support by giving through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. It's 2022, the year we prevail. If you can believe it, April 2022 is fixing to come to an end. Wow. I don't think I remember a month going by this uh, this fast ever in my life. But yeah, April has come and gone. I, th- I think I've been mowing my grass too much. All this rain, yet you're just having to mow like every <laughs> three or four days. Some of you dads know what I'm talking about to keep up on that lawn, right? But uh, then uh, May is next month. You know what May is? It's graduation. Yay. I hope all of you graduates have your lives figured out. You need to figure out where you're going to work, where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, and how many kids you're going to have. And you have to get it all figured out by graduation, uh, said only the schmucks ever. No, 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 no. You need to figure out what God wants and then go from there. That I can tell you, believe me. This is also a time, I'm afraid, where you will see a lot of people uh, walk away from God, become discouraged, leave uh, the church, leave the Bible, walk out on God himself. I've, I saw it happen a lot when I was a youth pastor, still observe it to this day. There's just something about, especially high school graduates, they feel like this newfound freedom. You know, I'm out of high school. I'm an adult now. I can do what I want and be what I want and go wherever I want to go. And with this newfound freedom, they don't know what to do. Liberty is a great thing. Having freedom is a wonderful thing. But if not channeled in the right direction, you can end up losing your own soul. Uh, what, What would it profit you to gain all the fun in the world and lose your own soul? Uh, What would it it profit you to uh, cut your hair and get a tattoo and transgender yourself and lose your own soul? Uh, The list goes on and on. What would it profit you if you did every drug and got high and lost your own soul? All of those things. And I, I know I'm sort of speaking bombastically, a lot of exaggeration here, but, but in all reality, I'm talking about reality. There are, Kids out there in church that are thinking about doing all of these things. Because nobody says nobody is who they say they are. They are who they have always been. And I'm not talking about somebody's past, although your reputation will always precede you. I'm more so talking about what is inside of your heart. Because what is in the heart is going to eventually come out and you'll be that type of person. If you have sin in your heart, that sin will come out. If you have righteousness in your heart, that righteousness will come out. If you've got ministry inside of your heart, that ministry will come out. That's why I try to spend a lot of time, as much as I can, really trying to speak into the lives of teenagers that are about 14 and 15. Because that's really the direction, that's the really the direction setter age. Uh, for those of you junior high pastors out there, your job is very, very important. 
because I think that's when typically the human soul is the most shapeable in those very, very impressionable years. It's like God speaks to Jeremiah and says, you see the the potter with his clay on his potter's wheel. That is Israel. Sometimes they're easily formable. Sometimes they get marred and we have to start all over. And I think when um, guys and girls are 14 and 15, they're the most shapeable. How their spirit, how their character, their integrity, their temperament develops then, that's usually what they're going to be and come out as as an 18, 19, and 20-year-old. Chances are whatever music you like around that age, you're going to like it for the rest of your life. I know I'm, <laughs> I'm that way. Uh, my sense of human personality has yeah, changed a little here and there, but I'm st- <laughs> still it's still the same as when I was in eighth grade. And I know some of you are laughing. You're like, wow, I haven't changed a bit since I was in eighth grade. And that's just because you're really impressionable in those years. But I don't know. When I was 14 or 15, I wasn't perfect. I was just a, a typical uh, teenage boy, uh, pretty lazy, allergic to work, uh, sometimes pretty moody, pretty negative, uh, didn't like being told what to do, didn't like being corrected. But I always just had it in my heart, no matter what happens, I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm not going to be perfect. When I get out of high school, I'm going to do something for God. And I'm going to always uh, fall back to God. I, I will always run to God when I'm in trouble. I was all, I'll always run to God when I'm happy. I'll always have God. But I, I like anybody, I went through times of, of major uncertainty around this time of in my life. In the year 2001, when I graduated, I, you know, had had direction for my life. But like everybody, you're uncertain of what you want to do and where you want to be and where you want to go. And I think if you can stay in the will of God during your high school years, you can be in the will of God during your college years. You stay in the will of God your college years, you'll be in the will of God for uh, your master's or your doctorate program or whatever else comes after that. It just it's this the old idea. One good decision leads to many good decisions. One bad decision leads to multiple bad decisions. That's just how it is. The domino effect is real, not just with your dominoes or your uh, cards or whatever, but your decisions are all like little dominoes. Just So make good choices, make good decisions, have a good time, uh, but don't wind up in jail, please. Don't wind up in court, please. Uh, don't wind up uh, pregnant out of woodlock. Don't wind up in the emergency room because you've overdosed. I'm saying all of these things and not really pulling them out of the air. I'm pulling them out of my memories and my experiences. I didn't do any of those things, but other kids did those things, and I had to go see them in court. I had to go see them in jail. I had to go see them in the emergency room because they overdosed. Good church kids. Fooled everybody, but after they graduate, boom, gone. You need to make up in your mind, are you going to live for God after this graduation season? I would set it in your mind and in your heart. What am I going to do and what am I going to be? And where is it going to lead me to for the rest of my life? And what's it going to do for my eternity? Not only is it graduation season, but it's the season between the resurrection of our Lord and the day of Pentecost, that 40-day gap, that 40-day gap before the Church technically began on the day of Pentecost. And it was during that time, a very uncertain time, for the disciples of Jesus. 
You know, they they had seen the Lord on the cross. You know, they they witnessed him being buried, and then they he rose again. And not all of them saw him at once. Some of them saw him a little later. Some of them saw him here and there, and and in various places. It was it was different. Even though he was alive, he was not present with them like he had been. And it had gotten to a point where Peter, you know, the, the, the leader of the disciples, he said, I am going fishing. I am going fishing. <clears throat> and I don't think this was, hey, I, I just want to get my mind off things. I want to have a little break. You know, I'm craving some uh, a good fillet of fish out of the Sea of Galilee. Let's have a good lunch. It wasn't that. It was, no, I'm going back to how things were before I met Jesus. I'm going back to the way things were uh, before, before the Lord said, follow me. I'm going back to that life, picking up where I left off, and it's going to be better and greater than ever before. So he and the other fishermen disciples are in their boat, and they catch nothing all night. Nothing all night. And the, uh, the, the sun is starting to arise for the next day, and they look up on the seashore, and who is there? A man. And he calls out to them, did you catch anything? They said, no, we've toiled all night. And he says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And something interesting that, that the Lord calls in there, he says, children. Children, do you have any food? Do you have any food for me? And they said, no. He says, cast your net. I'm, I'm, I'm talking from a, uh, it's John 21. John 21, if you want to look it up. And Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find them. And so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it nigh because of the multitude of fish. You know, they fished all night. They know that lake. They know where fish are running that time of year. They're professionals. Catch nothing all night, but some guy who appeared to be a stranger calls out to them little children, which is really interesting. Children was not a term that, it, obviously it's a term for mother and fathers that they use, you know, hey, children, time to come home. Children, children, kids, where are you? But really it was a rabbi term, an elder's term for his disciples. It, it meant like I am raising you up and training you up to be as I am here in my group, in my system. In my community, if you like, my children, my my students, my disciples. It also uh, it means like children of Israel, children of Israel. That's why the Lord called them uh, children. I like to think of myself as a child of God. Why? Because I have been born of God. I was born naturally in this world to stand in Marlene Gleason, but in the kingdom of heaven, I didn't come into the kingdom of heaven through my biological parents. I came into the kingdom of heaven born through Jesus Christ, uh, through repentance of my sins, turning to the Lord, believing on him, confessing who he is. He is Lord and Christ. But I didn't just stop there. I obeyed the, all the commands of Jesus, and that was to be baptized. I went down in his name, came up in his name, and I've never been the same. I didn't just stop there. I sought the signs of God. I worshiped the Lord in the initial sign of the infilling of the Spirit, came to me, the sign of speaking in other tongues. And I'm born again that way. Born of the water, born of the Spirit, you're born again. If you're opening your Bible to John 21, that's uh, John chapter 3, what I'm referencing. You're born again. You become a child of God. And isn't that something that Jesus would still call them that? 
even though they forsook him. He, they forsook him in uh, Gethsemane. Uh, some of them doubted his resurrection, and now they're out fishing. They're not praying. <coughs> they're not uh, going about preaching anymore. It's, no, let's go back to our jobs and our careers. That's right. They decided we're not going to be lazy. They decided we're not going to give up. We are going to go back to work. And, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what else you do in that moment in time. I wish the uh, a lot of people in America would wake up and get that same attitude. It is amazing how many people are not back to work. One of my favorite barbecue restaurants. If you've ever been through Kansas City, you know this is a barbecue town. We're proud of our barbecue. And a barbecue restaurant that has been near my house for decades, decades, love this place, shut down, not because of a lack of, of restaurant patrons, not because of a lack of management. They had great management. Not because it's in a bad part of town or this or that or the other. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed, and the reason that, the, and they put this in the news, the reason we're shutting our doors is nobody wants to work. We can't staff our restaurant. I want to say, hello, wake up. Say, I go back to smoking meat. You know, I go back fishing, I go back to smoking meat. You know, as Christians, we're called to pray, to study the Bible, to gather together as the church, and we're called to work. That's what Paul said. You don't work, you don't eat. You don't work, you don't eat. You don't work, you don't eat. And the disciples knew this. Had to get back to work, had to get back to doing something. But it was more than that. It was, I think we missed it. I think the Lord is done with us. It was a great experience. We'll never forget it. But we have nothing else to do, so we're going back to what we knew. And that's when Jesus appeared and said, My children, do you have any food? You know, and because they just listened to each other back then, suggestions, they thought maybe this guy knows this lake and knows something we don't. They throw their net on the other side of the boat. But it wasn't just a small catch. Oh, no, it was huge. It says it. 153 large fish came in. It's a lot of fish. A lot of fish in a net for that day and that time. You know, it, it was a miracle. And Peter and the, and the disciples had seen Jesus do miracles before. This wasn't the first one. It was Peter that said, Lord, should we pay the temple tax? Or excuse me, uh, other people were asking Peter, does your master, your Lord Jesus, pay the temple tax? And Peter questioned the Lord about it, and he said, well, we shouldn't offend them. Yes, we should give. Yeah, Jesus was a giver, big proponent to giving to the religious system uh, back then. And how much more so should we give to the church of the living God to this day? Amen. But they, they didn't have any money for the temple. And Jesus said, go put a hook on a, on, a, on a string, go out into the sea, and you'll catch a fish. And when you do, look in its mouth, and there will be a coin. And Peter did that, and it happened just as the Lord said. You know, Jesus didn't grow up a fisherman. He grew up a carpenter, grew up in the countryside of Galilee. But leaving that and coming to the lake town, Capernaum, he figured out fishing very, very quickly. <laughs> and he was able to connect with all those fishermen because of that. He knew where the fish were. And plus, he's God. He could summon the fish at any time. But Peter saw that. 
is out on that lake. Jesus is asleep. A great storm arises, and the disciples fear for their life, but Jesus stands up and rebukes the storm and says, Peace be still. And Peter saw him do that miracle. Oh, and another night, they were out on the out in the boat. Jesus was up in the mountain praying, and they 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 they're in the in the boat in the storm. They're about to perish, and they look across the sea and see a man walking on the seashore. They thought it was a ghost. They thought maybe the uh, soul of a drowned fisherman came walking on the water, but they realized it's Jesus. And for Peter to know that it's really Jesus, he said, "Let me walk out to you on the water," because he knew a ghost could not allow him to walk on the water, but Jesus himself, proving that it is him, said, I'll let you do as I do. Praise God. Amen. They'd seen the Lord do these things, miraculously. A coin in a fish's mouth, calming of the storm, walking on the water. You know what the first miracle Jesus ever did for those fishermen? It was on the day that he called them. They hadn't been able to catch fish all night, but he said, throw your net on the other side, and boom. Caught the biggest catch of their life. Could have set them up financially for the rest of the year. But they would have rather father the Lord and catch men than to stay in their earthly father's business, Zebedee. Catching fish for men. And here you are. Back there on the same seashore, the very same seashore that Jesus called them. He's back there with them now, calling out to them, my children, my children, do you have any food? And so I want to ask all of you today in this 40-day gap between the resurrection and Pentecost, where is your seashore? Where is typically that place that you go to when you're trying to Get away from your spiritual responsibility. Trying to get away from the plan of God. Trying to get away from the will of God. Trying to get away from your calling. Where is your seashore? Where does the Lord usually appear to you at? To try to help you refocus. And to try to get you back on track. Hmm. You know where my place usually has been? the altar. I kid you not, it's the altar. Some people are saying, Justin, you go to the altar whenever you're not doing good. That's right. I like to run to that altar. The altar is a, it's the first place God called me to. It's the first place that God began to move upon me and speak to me. Or For some people, it was you know, whenever they'd lay down to sleep at night, God started talking to them there. Uh, for some people, it was on, on the bus in fourth grade, you know, on the way to school in the mornings. For some people, it was when you were at work, bus and tables in the restaurant. For me, it was the altar. And there have been times in my life when I have thought, I am not meant to do ministry. I am not meant to work for God. And I don't go running out to this world and try to find sin and try to find uh, earthly pleasure. I go run to the altar. When I doubt, I run to the altar. When I'm confused, I run to the altar. I say, I'm going back to the altar. And sometimes I'll go in the middle of the day. That's where God finds me, calls out to me, gives me fresh focus, fresh vision. Never forget where God first called you. That's probably going to be the place where he 
encourages you and uplifts you and does and shows you something miraculous. That's what he did for the disciples that day. In a time when they were uncertain, a time when they were very confused, in a time they didn't know what tomorrow hold held, they look up and they see their Lord saying, throw the net on the other side like he did to them three and a half years before that. And they brought in 153 large fish. You know, that's just so interesting to me. I got to study in this years ago, and I discovered something really neat. I thought, why 153 large fish? Why 153 large? Why did they say that? Well, they counted them. Then also I found out that many say in the um, sea there, there is 153 different species of fish. Some say that about that part of the world, uh, specifically in the Mediterranean Sea in that portion. You can find 153 different species of fish that Mediterranean Sea fishermen would have caught. Now, they're here in the Sea of Galilee, but in the Mediterranean, 153 different types of species of fish. That's kind of interesting. But what's more in-depth for me is in the Sea of Galilee, there are no large fish. They don't catch huge fish. They don't catch sturgeon or mackerel or marlins or snappers or sharks or any of that. Those are caught in the Mediterranean, the Great Sea. But in the Sea of Galilee, it's little small fish, like here in America, a little bluegill or perch or sunnies or, oh, crappies. Mm. Crappie. Maybe I should go fishing, <laughs> see what happens. Catch 153 nice crappie. Throw them in the frying pan and make some tater chips. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, they bring in 153 large fish. What I believe is happening here is Jesus is giving his disciples a glimpse of Bible prophecy. Because the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, he prophesied concerning the messianic kingdom that would one day come. And he says that the river from the great sea will flow into the Sea of Galilee. That's what's going to happen somehow. When God returns, he is going to cause a river to be formed from the Mediterranean to the Sea of Galilee. Galilee doesn't connect to the Mediterranean Sea right now. It flows down into a, a river that they call the Jordan, and it flows down into the Dead Sea. But in the Messianic Kingdom, there is going to be an opening. The earth will open, and a path will be made for a river to flow from the Mediterranean to the Sea of Galilee. Well, when that happens, <clears throat> all of the great fish of the Mediterranean Sea are going to travel down that river and come down into Galilee. And fishermen are going to be able to catch large fish. Now the disciples, they'd never seen big fish out of the Sea of Galilee, but it was like Jesus was showing them that if you will stick with me, if you will stay by me, I'm giving you a glimpse of Bible prophecy. If you will stay by me, you're going to get to experience this in its fullness and fulfillment one day. Mm. I told you in a recent podcast, I was at the altar this past Easter Sunday. Our pastor, my dad, said, anybody here, you need a miracle, you need healing, raise your hand. And I looked over and a sister in our church raised her hand. I walked over to her, prayed for her. She had back pain. First time I prayed for her, nothing happened. And the Lord reminded me, of the story of Elijah when he stretched out 
his face over the boy who had died three times. And I knew right then and there, I'm going to have to pray three times for this lady. Yeah, first time, nothing. Second time, nothing. Third time, I had her husband lay his hand on uh, on her lower back where the pain was, and boom, back started popping. Healing happened. And I tell you this, it's been a while since I've seen a miracle. It has. I think that's the first miracle I've seen of 2022. I don't. I can't. I can't think of anything right now. Any miracles of healing? I went through a season of my life where it was like every Sunday and even every Wednesday. I was praying for people and they'd been healed. But in the last two years, it's kind of here and there. <laughs> and I'm kind of discouraged about it, wondering is what's wrong with me. Is that is there's no faith, no this or that, the other? I don't know. We all go through seasons like that where we feel uncertain and kind of wondering, is the calling still there? Is the anointing still there? Is the gifting still there? God is saying, if you'll go back to where I originally called you, if you'll be in that same setting in your time of confusion, I'll appear to you and I'll show you, hey, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to pick up where you left off at. And I did. And I prayed for some people, amen, since then, and I've already seen healings. God's doing great things. <coughs> Excuse me. I told you last week I've been dealing with sickness. I still still am not 100% over this cold and things like that. So please keep me in your prayers. Jesus is there on the seashore. They pull in the net of fish. They sit down. They have breakfast. And none of them even dare ask him, hey, are you Jesus? I mean, they know. They don't want to say anything. They just wait. And the Lord asks Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus asks him again, do you love me? He says, Lord, I love you. You know I do. He says, feed my sheep. One more time, do you love me? Of course, Lord, you know I love you. Almost frustrated that he would even have to ask him. And he said, feed my sheep. Some say that the Lord asked him that to... um sort of give him closure and forgiveness for denying the Lord three times. And I've heard that preached. It's it's pulled on my heart. It's got me to the altar. It works, and if that's how you preach it, that's fine. But I, I really don't preach it that way. I am, uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, that's when uh, the forgiveness... Ha- I, th- I think the forgiveness happened when he saw the Lord uh, after he had risen from the grave. I think that's when the cleansing and the repentance happened right then and there when he... Uh, touched the nail-scarred hands, the nail-scarred feet, and the, and the wound in his side. You know what I see? I see it as a future, a future, um, it's like a future word of direction for Peter, asking him, do you really love me? And feed the lambs, feed the sheep. Because in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 12, The Apostle Peter would be greatly tested in his life three times in Acts. Acts chapter 2, he is accused of being full of new wine. He's accused of being drunk. That's a big testing. You think about that. You've gone through everything you've went through, and all of a sudden, bam, you are empowered with a great sign from heaven. People are saying you are drunk. (laughs) Peter could have said a lot of things in that moment, try to defend himself and argue, but no, he testified. I'm not I am drunk, but not as you suppose. 
I think he was also tested by the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5 when he was severely beaten. Mm. He could have caved up, but he didn't. He kept on preaching. And then in Acts chapter 12, Peter was imprisoned by Herod. Got out of prison, delivered by an angel. And when he went to the church, some of them even doubted him that he was at the door. Wow. Those are three moments, and I'm sure there were many more, but those are the three recorded moments that we have where Peter, his message and his faith were tried and tested and proven. And I think that is why Jesus asked him, do you love me? Can you be loyal to me during hard times? Or are you going to flee again like you did in Gethsemane? Are you going to deny me when questioned about me? It was for the future. And that's what God does when he appears on our seashore. He wants to know, do you love me? And not so much for him, he knows it. But he wants you to look inside and reflect on yourself. Do I really love this Jesus? Do I love him enough to never deny him? Do I love him enough to never leave him? Do I love him enough to take care of what he wants me to take care of? And that is his sheep, his people, this world. That is the power of the seashore, and that's what God is doing in this post-resurrection season before the day of ascension arrives. I'm Justin C. Gleason. Let's get back to God, Bible, and church. So uh, I love to hear back from listeners. I love the feedback. I know this really isn't talk radio. Uh, Maybe we'll look into doing something like that. As of now, it's monologue, occasional guests here and there. But I do enjoy receiving, uh, getting contact by all of you and getting feedback. And, you know, some of you just say, hi, hello, I love your show. Thanks for doing what you do. And I, I love that. That is energizing. I want to keep doing that. But when you write to me, let me know what's going on in your world. And uh, let me know in depth of what you think and what you feel about what I say and maybe perhaps a question. And I would like to feed back to you what you give to me. And uh, normally I just say your first name. If it's, if it's something personable, I, I'll keep it you know, anonymous. But uh, we got a couple here I want to take time for. Kevin wrote to me, sent me an IGDM, and he said, Brother Gleason, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Not often, but at times, I have felt what I can only describe as weeping in my spirit. It's a heavy burden, a weight with no specific direction. It doesn't feel like a warning. It's rather a sense of calm and secure urgency. It's a strong pull into prayer, and I've always interpreted, interpreted it as a burden God places in my spirit to open my ears and be watchful with my eyes in the spiritual. I've also braced myself sometimes just in case. He's getting my eyes zeroed in extra on him before my circumstances crash, like filling up like a faith tank before you need the extra reserves. I do believe that our greatest calling is always just to walk with him in the garden and perhaps that weeping, that weeping spirit is just a call to prayer. Have you ever felt like that, a weeping weight 
Again, it's not a sensitive, (laughs) sissy, weeping spirit, but rather it's a draw, a closeness, and it has a heavy authority upon it. My wife and I have been listening to every episode since day one. Keep it up. Thank you, Kevin, for listening, and thank you for your response. And the answer to your question, yes, I have felt that type of weeping that you're talking about. And yeah, it's not a sensitive weep. It's not a violent weep. It's not a travail, but it's it's more so a drawing for a deeper relationship with God with tears. Um, first of all, I want to say tears are spiritual. And I get that from Psalm 56. The psalmist said, you number my wanderings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Uh, I don't want to get into wandering. Well, maybe I should. Wandering is there moments sort of when you feel lost. Uh, when you When you're trying to, you know, as they say, find yourself. Uh, find yourself is usually a code for starting uh, to do hallucinogenic drugs and, and have an extramarital affair. That's When people say I'm trying to find myself, that's what that's code for. But wandering is um, the time of trial and testing right before you're about to do something big. Like Jesus in the wilderness. Out there in the wilderness. Uh, uh, Moses and Israel out there in the desert. You know, they're about to enter the promised land. It, before a uh, promise happens, before a fulfillment, this or that, you go through a, a season of wandering. It's spiritual. It's I don't know why God does it. Before something great happens to you, you wander. So God numbers that. Okay, enough of that. But the, the tears in the bottle thing. I mean, just think about that. Observe that. God numbers our tears in a, in a bottle and records them up in a book in heaven. Why doesn't God record every time we raise our hands? Why doesn't he record every time we clap our hands? Aren't those things spiritual? Yes, they are. But for whatever reason, tears are something that are recorded in heaven. Tears when shed for God. When they are given to God, when he wants them, they become heavenly. And I believe God is going to reward you for your tears in heaven. So whenever the Spirit puts it on you, God wants you to cry. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. You know, when God wants a message in tongues, you give it, you give it. When God wants an interpretation, you give it. When God wants prophecy, you give it. And I just think when God wants tears, you just give it to him. Uh, don't hold back. Cry. It becomes spiritual, and I, I, I don't understand it, but it's heavenly. They cry in heaven. I believe the angels cry and weep before the Lord in heaven. There is something about it that excites God, and it's really a form of worship. It's, it's a form of ministering unto the Lord. I know we have the tears of sorrows. We've got the tears of joy. We've got the tears of love. Uh, we got tears of pain. We got all of that. We got tears because we got a sty in our eye. We got this or that, the other. You got the allergy tears. Uh, <laughs> you got <laughs> all kinds of tears, but the tears that we're talking about are tears that God wants. And if God wants my tears, I'll give him my tears. I'm sure will. I will weep for the burden of the Lord. I will weep because his presence is real. I will weep because people need God. I will weep because I need him, all of those things. So, yeah, weeping is spiritual. I would do it. I would do it. It's just a sign that the Lord uh, uh, likes to summon you. 
likes to beckon you to do something for him, so I would do it in Jesus' name. Colton, send a message to justincgleason at gmail.com. Colton says, as the loyal listener that I am, I listened to your most recent podcast and I feel called to do a podcast. I've been feeling the call for a while, but one of the excuses I have is that I don't have the knowledge and the right equipment. But thankfully, God qualifies the called, right? (laughs) JK, I am a loyal listener and I know better than that. That's right, Colton. Colton further says, my question is, what is your podcasting setup? You have a great sound that is professional. It does not sound like Joe Schmo. Not knowing how to podcast, it sounds great. I do not want to be unprofessional in sound or content. My thought is, if I ask you about the sound quality, then I can focus about the content quality. So, you know, I've got these questions before, and I've never really I don't as far as I can remember I've never gone out here in public on the on the podcast air and talked about my equipment and my setup because it's nothing really that ex- extravagant it's nothing really that great there's a lot of other podcasters that kind of do the same format that I do that have just phenomenal studios great equipment I it's really basic for me to tell you the truth but I, I have upgraded since I started but since you're a beginner um I'll go ahead and tell you how I started with my podcast setup. What I did was I, uh, first of all, talked to the sound men at our church and got some ideas. That could be a great resource for you. Just talk to your sound men about microphone options because they'll know. Believe me, they'll know. And they may have a... They may open up the drawer in the back there in the sound booth and say, here, have this microphone and give you a nice microphone that that they're not using up on the platform. It still works and want to put it to good use. Why not give it to use? They, they might do that. And I, and truthfully, I used some of our microphones from the, from the church to uh, kind, of, kind of figure things out. Now, I didn't take them. I, I you know, wanted to acquire my own, <laughs> my, my own equipment. So, but... What I would recommend you do is get a dynamic microphone. Don't get a condenser microphone. And the difference between them is condenser microphones are super sensitive. They'll pick up every noise in the room. I'm guessing you don't have a studio. I don't have a studio. I'm sitting here in a basement. (laughs) I'm looking at my deep freezer and my golf clubs, okay? (laughs) Down here in the basement. And tons of other storage and stuff. And I've just got a little old card table here. I don't have a nice pod table, you know, with uh, with uh, anchor stands and all that stuff. I don't. I have just normal little desk stand, little microphone stands and mics and all that. So I, I wouldn't buy a bunch of nice equipment, but a good quality microphone is important. And I'm going to recommend what I use. And I'm not, this is not sponsored, but I'll just tell you what it is. It's the Samson Q2U. Samson Q2U. It's um, when I first bought one, in 2020, they were about 50 bucks, but I think they've gone up to about 75. It is a good microphone. It's very wide range. You can use it with a XLR plugged right into your computer or even right into your phone if you can find a, an, an adapter. Very easy to find. But then it also has a XLR. That's the, the three-pronged uh, standard microphone cable that, that they use you know, for recordings and things like that. But it, um, 
it does produce a good quality sound. Uh, it reminds me a lot of radio uh, sounds, kind of that higher bass, higher highs, and kind of lower mid sound. So and I just watched a lot of tutorials on YouTube about it and bought the Samson and liked it. And to me, it's the best mic for, for about that price. It's good. But you don't, uh, you don't need to use that. You don't need to use that. Uh, start small is what I recommend. So um, as far as recording, I originally started by just recording into my laptop. Uh, I have a, a, a MacBook Pro, and I would just record right into GarageBand. Uh, then sometimes right into, uh, what is it, QuickTime, I would do that. So that's uh, good. But um, I uh, I don't know, about six or seven months ago, I uh, came across some uh, just a little surplus of money, and I went out and bought a recorder. And it's the Zoom PodTrack P4, very good, good recorder. And I, I feel more confident in going through an actual, like, like hardware recorder as opposed to software because I I'll tell you a secret I lost a few <laughs> raw recordings after I recorded them sometimes that just happens you know your software can be finicky uh, computers get a mind of their own in all of that so so that so but in the beginning I just recorded right into my computer that was my setup and then I did my mixing and mastering all into GarageBand and uh you know had an episode but now we put it right into a recorder it adds a little more juice onto it uh, I just, I don't, I, I have uh, some mounts here that my microphones sit on, and it's just generic stuff you can get off Amazon. The the mounts, the cables, very inexpensive. I don't, I don't even know the brand. I don't, I don't even know if they have a brand. So, But then I mix and master in GarageBand on the MacBook Pro. And uh, bumper music is... Uh, not a must, but it does add a little bit. I know that some of the greatest podcasts in the world, they have no music. They just start talking and there, there you go. But I wanted a bumper music because mostly it's monologue. It kind of adds a, a little bit of like a something secondary other than me. And uh, you can get copyright free music here and there and everywhere. Um, yeah, you could, I, I got mine off SoundCloud. SoundCloud, and I'm using pretty much the basically the same music that I started using in, in the beginning. And you know, they had a lot of copyright-free instrumentals, and I, I went through and listened to, like, country and jazz. You know, they didn't have a gospel one. I wish they did. They didn't have a praise and worship one. None of that. It was just genres like jazz and country and folk and pop and, and all of these. And I went through all of them, and they had a lot of good stuff. But I thought none of these really work with my presentation and my tone and my attitude the only one that does is rock so I downloaded some rock and got some rock going and uh you know I just want people's heads to move when they start listening right you know so I mean, I mean think about it do you ever hear somebody say that raps or that countries or you know that jazz is no everybody says whoa that rocks man you rock so it just psychologically makes people think that this podcast uh rocks so so that's what I do, get a dynamic microphone because a condenser microphones pick up everything they're designed to. They're designed for the studio, for, you know, for instruments and stuff and, and choir vocals. A dynamic microphone is designed to pick up a small range and will give you that radio tone. It's just the classic uh, vocal tone that I, I think belongs on a podcast. So get a dynamic microphone. 
you want to spend about $75, get the Samsung Q2U, get the USB cable, plug it right up into your computer or your phone, and you'll generate uh, the type of sound that I that I have. So talk to your church sound man. Get some ideas. Uh, EQing your voice is also pretty important, but uh, truthfully, I need to get some more education. I self-produce. I, I need to get a better education on EQ and things like that. Um, and, and matter of fact, I've gotten some comments uh, about my volume being low lately. I have no idea why, because when I go back and listen to it after it's mixed and mastered and and uh, finalized and I, I make an MP3 file, I sound great. But maybe it's Apple Podcast. I don't know. Maybe they're, they're uh, clicking down the decibels right now uh, these days. Uh, it's maybe not a violation of freedom of speech, but a violation of freedom of volume. That's what's going on. No freedom of volume in the in the podcast world. So, yeah, don't worry about your technical equipment that much. Your content. I, the only thing I would disagree with you on is you don't need good technical stuff at first. You don't. You need good content at first. That is what is most important because I've heard a lot of guys that that have phenomenal microphones. They buy the you know the uh, like a four or five hundred dollar uh, Electro Voice RE twenty. I'd love to have one of those someday. And I mean it's the best. But then they their content is just pff, you know they sound like a Joe Schmo. They have nothing to say, nothing to talk about. So I'm not ready to just invest in that much because I I don't do this full time. Obviously it's part time and and I'm. I'm trying to produce at least like uh, about 40 to 50 episodes a year. And so I just, I just don't want to invest in a lot. I've even thought about doing a video version. I have for ever since this started, but I've just never pulled the trigger on it. So maybe someday we will. So as a beginner, what I recommend you do, don't even buy a mic, get your phone out, get your phone out and go into your closet. And when you've gone into the closet podcast to... <laughs> God who hears in secret. Now, in all seriousness, a closet with full of clothes is the is better than a conditioned sound studio. That clothing there will close off your voice. Sometimes uh, here when I'm recording, my voice bounces off the wall that I'm sitting next to. But when you got a bunch of clothes around you, it'll naturally condense your voice. Just with an iPhone, I'm telling you, it works. Or if you don't have that, uh, if you have a camping tent, get in the tent, set up your tent somewhere in your house get in the tent even maybe even throw uh some big quilts over that tent and it, it will even condense your voice more with just an iphone um or yeah yeah just do that yeah or blankets somehow set up some blankets somehow get under a covering somehow get around so where sound is closed off you know, I'm in a wide open basement right now I've, I've got lots of echo going on here and I I really don't care <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but if you do that with your iPhone in a closed off environment, you can generate a good sound and just practice a little bit. See if it's something you enjoy doing because uh, podcasting, I'll tell you, it's hard. It's hard. You're not talking before a live audience and you're not really talking to, you know, if you're doing monologue, you're, it's just you, you know, you, you got to hear your own head rattle. That's it. So it, it can be difficult, but man, I wish you well, Colton, and after you publish your, uh, get some episodes out there, contact me and we'll get you back here on this show. Uh, thank you so much, you podheads. heads.